If you enjoy being average, this may not be the show for you. This is where you can learn the skills and mindset to turn mediocrity into excellence. You're listening to Against All Average with Kyle Tolzman. What's up, everybody? It's Kyle Tolzman. Welcome back to another episode of the Against All Average podcast. Yeah, let's go. It's Friday morning. It's 9 a.m. and I'm only two drinks into my cup of coffee and I'm already freaking fired up for another episode to get rolling. I know I've been slacking. I didn't post last week. I'm terribly sorry. Sort of. It's been uh, a crazy couple weeks and uh, we're getting back on with some amazing guests on the Against All Average podcast. But before we do, I know you always like to to listen to me banter about the weather in Portland, Oregon. It's hot. I don't have anything crazy to say. It's going to be about 100 degrees today. It's not very fun. I'm trying to move some stuff out of my house and all it turns into is a lot of sweat. So uh, after I get off this podcast, I'm going to move a few things, get rolling and have another amazing day. Before we get into this episode, we've got an amazing sponsor. It's the same sponsor for all 87 episodes of the Against All Average podcast when you need fun and simple solutions to manage your event. Give our friends at Farron Event a call. They've got ticketing, vendor booth management, interactive floor plans, and Fusion RFID technology. That's so you can just pay for stuff. You can just load it up on one of these little cards. You go around and you can buy your uh, little trinkets and bracelets and, and food and beverages all with a little card, all cashless, making events flow smoothly. They'll always give you the against all average treatment to save you time, money, and provide simple solutions for your next event. You can find them at www.fairandevents.com. Let's do this. Let's get into it. Another amazing guest, Tyler Sullivan, is the founder of Bomb Tech Golf, an e-commerce store with over $20 million sold since 2012. Tyler also runs Ecom Growers, where he and his team have helped countless Shopify owners add six to seven figures in additional sales to their e-com stores by optimizing email systems and ad campaigns to find those little hidden revenue streams that are always so hard to tap into. Over the years, Tyler has come to learn the formula for running successful and profitable e-com businesses. He believes that even with online companies, there's huge value in having real conversations with customers and potential buyers. Tyler is hyper-focused on customers and customer experience and operating a lean and mean business. He doesn't want to just talk revenue. He wants to talk profit and cash flow. Please welcome to the show, Tyler Soli Sullivan. What's up? What an intro, man. You, you nailed that. That may be the best podcast I've been on. Man, that's what I pride myself on. I, the, the problem is you got to fill the other 30 minutes. I'm still working on, I'm still working on my stride of the next 30, 40 minutes, but I'll hang my hat on killing intros. I'll do that all day. I'll take the rest of it for you. So <laughs> you're just going to take over from here. If you want, man, you're, you're the boss. So you tell me. 
Yeah, no, the intro, it's like the driver, right? It's like the driver. You got to show up to that tee box, fired up. You got to talk a little trash. You got to get going and be confident about your game. So that's why I love to uh, get a nice intro in there. But hey, let's let's let you intro a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about yourself. Take us back to when you're about 12 years old. What does life look like going through middle school and high school? And how does that set you up to be in this e-com world? Wow, going deep, going way back. Um, you know, this is, I'll try to make it relative for this. I was a big uh, football player growing up. And I remember going into high school, they changed the season for golf. So I had to decide to play football or play golf. Wow. And I was like, I was, you know, my dad coached me in football. I played for like six years. I was like a no brainer was going to play. And I had fallen in love with golf and I chose golf over football. Um, and looking back, I was like, that was a decision that was tough for me, but now it's allowed me to run a business and have a life I would have never imagined. So it's like all things happen for a reason, but that's kind of, uh, was I think decision number one in, in leading me down this path of, uh, owning and starting bomb tech golf as an accidental entrepreneur. Yeah. Take us back. You're in high school, you're golfing, you're going to golf practice each day. Did you have any other side hustles going on or what was some of your first kind of paying jobs? Did you always have this entrepreneurial spirit or were you more of like bagging groceries at the grocery store? Yeah. I mean, I always worked in restaurants, you know, I was waiting tables, busting tables, you know, always been doing that grind. I did set up a few, you know, websites back in the day. Uh, like AdSense way back, never really monetized them, but always definitely had an inkling for building websites, you know, didn't know why, but that was just something I was attracted to. And, you know, it didn't really become a thing until, you know, I was way out of college and built my first terrible website um, just because I was bored at my day job. Um, and that's kind of how it all started. But yeah, I was, I was a tinkerer, but not really a true, true entrepreneur, but my parents had owned a uh, diner, you know, and my dad and I used to do, um, he had a cleaning business as well. So we'd steam clean carpets at night. So I think seeing that it was like ingrained in me that you don't have to necessarily work a, a traditional job. Um, cause you know, we, we'd clean, <laughs> it wasn't the most glorious things, but we'd steam clean, pick up garbage and trash and, you know, make it our own, uh, making our own money, you know, back in the day. And if you were to point a few things that you've learned from your folks about entrepreneurship kind of at that young age, like what are some things like you already talked about it, <clears throat> excuse me, but you know, one of those things is you don't have to work the nine to five. We can be creative and still make a difference. We can still make money, those types of things. But what are some other kind of skills or mindset hacks that you learned from your parents over the years, just watching them, you know, go, go with the ebbs and flows of entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think that the, there's really only one, and that's probably the most important one that that you need to have is the sort really the grit and the willingness to do whatever it takes. I mean, because it's it's not easy. Um, I found that out when I when I started out, um, and and a lot of people don't have what it takes. You know what I mean? And I think you need to have the natural curiosity to want to do it, and it's and it's a DNA thing. It's like some people want to have a job and and do that, and some people are just want to do something that they enjoy and, and they just won't stop, you know? And I think that's, that's really the difference, you know, it's from a regular, regular person and I'm just regular average guy, but for some reason, 
I was attracted to Star Mountain Golf Brand and it never felt like work, you know, even though I was working 20 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, now I work four days a week, but or four hours a week and do podcasts. So it's, I think it's just a natural <laughs> curiosity and willingness to uh, do something that you want to do, you know? Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I grew up and my mom was an entrepreneur. She purchased an insurance business from my grandpa and kind of watching her. It's the same things that you... I don't know. Like I, I learned communication from her. Like when she was on a sales call, you'd never know. It was smooth as butter. Like you would think that she was on the phone with uh, my aunt or her mom. It was that smooth. It was that caring. It was that uh, problem solving, but like, it was just that, that true, um, I don't, that true knack for a certain aspect of the business, but the same thing, the hustle, the grind, when things weren't going so well, uh, the, the ability to keep all the balls in the air while you're juggling and trying trying to figure out uh, what the next step is. And you've probably gone through a lot of that. Bomb Tech Golf, uh, you know, started in 2012. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, I started totally without me to start a business. I was attempting to become the world's longest golf driver, meaning there's like this uh, tournament, like the home run derby of golf. Yeah. And my buddy, this is like, I started playing rugby in college. Totally. Like I was in love with golf, fell out of love with it. And my buddy from high school was like, dude, I'm going to this long drive qualifier. I was like, I don't even know what that means, but I'll go. <laughs> and we, we went down and he didn't qualify, but I did. And I just became obsessed with golf again. And, and, you know, I started just going to these different events. At one point I had like 40 different drivers in my bag and it was just because I loved it, you know, it was a, it was a pure yeah. passion. And from there, I kind of just made the world's worst website, literally the world's worst. So it says like cartoon character flexing, uh, breaking a golf club on it. Um, and I had a couple of epiphanies, you know, the first one I started to assemble my own golf clubs because a local club builder would, was assembling them, which is actually pretty easy to assemble them. And I would break them. And it wasn't because my muscles were so big and I was swinging so hard, he just, <laughs> he just assembled them wrong. So I learned how to do it on necessity because I was broke and I wanted to compete. And then one of my buddies was like, Hey, can you build one for me? I was like, oh, sure. Um, and then I made the world's worst website, but I actually sold something off of it when I was on a boat. And this is epiphany number one, where I go, Holy shit. I just sold something when I wasn't working, I was on a boat. And that was like, let me do more of that. Cause that totally blew my mind. This was like 2000, probably 12. And I just said, I got to do more of that. And, and really totally naive. I just started documenting kind of what I was doing on Facebook with no expectations of making any money, no expectations of building this to a big business. I just liked it. And, you know, and one of my frat brothers from college and I were on the phone and I was like, dude, I don't know. I want to kind of design my own golf driver. Cause after I was, you know, this is after years of obsessing, assembling clubs, selling a couple, he's like, you're not that smart. <laughs> I go, you're not wrong. I did, you know, I, it took me four and a half years to graduate and, um, but he's like, you should call the University of Vermont where we both went to school and see if they'd work with you. And they're like, yeah, every year we've got a capstone engineering project where you can work with students. And I applied and they said, sure, let's do it. And I worked with four students for a year and I worked with them like every week, hands on. And we designed a driver and I, I don't know why, but I just, I cashed in my 401k. Um, and I got like 50 drivers made and, uh, 
as I documented that, I was able to build up a small following. And I remember when I launched it, we sold like 10 grand. I was like, that's good. Let's do more of that. <laughs> and yeah. really it's, it's been these small epiphanies over time. And, you know, that was kind of really the starting point of like, okay, this is now our own brand. We designed it. It was in that, it seems like a short period of time, but there was a lot that went into that year. And so when I sold that 10,000, it just, these small moments of traction, you know, that was one of them where I was like, okay, let's just keep going. And, um, you know, not to keep rambling, but the, I think the next epiphany was the tipping point. Um, so I was doing this on the side, I had a full-time sales job and then it was, you know, I was doing like 14,000, 15,000 a month, which if you're selling a physical product is essentially zero because you got to go make more product. The cash flow is non-existent. And I was in sales and my boss comes to me the week before Thanksgiving, just out, found out my wife was pregnant and he goes, Hey, today's your last day and your last paychecks last week. Wow. And I go, I'm going to get some water so I don't knock you out. Because <laughs> he was like, I go, what? I go, what's my job? He's like, to sell. I go, what are sales? They're up 200%. I like doubled sales or whatever it was. And I go, how did I do my job? So that was like, holy shit. I got fired even though I was performing. And I remember the drive, an hour long commute. And my wife, and I'm never home before her. And she's like, what are you doing home early? I was like got fired. And she's like, well, you're going to make bomb tech a full-time thing or what? And that was kind of shocked me that she was, yeah, she was supporting me out of the gate. No questions asked. And that year was the year of the hustle and the grind because I had no other option. A newborn coming. I have no income other than she was working, but not, I was making more of my other job. And I worked 20 hours a day, seven days a week, even when that kid, my first son, you know, he was born. So that was, that was tough, man. And that year was probably my biggest trying year, but I was able to forex the business and get it to have where I could pull some cash. Um, But that was a scary year, man. And like, that's where for me, because it was golf and it was my life, it didn't, I could work 20 hours a day because I had, because I loved it, but also had immense pressure. Um, And I think that was the kick in the ass that really allowed it to happen, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. <clears throat> I got chills when you, when your wife came with the, Hey, you're gonna, you're gonna throw this thing full time or what? And I kind of got chills because I've got three kids myself and we all know how important that is to have support, whether it is family, whether it's parents, brothers, sisters, significant others, but like, that's, that's real, right? That's real and raw. Those, those feelings of, of shit. I did my best job ever. Sales are up 200%. And my, and my boss is still going to can me for what I don't know. And I, I have no control over my life, but at least if I go hard, at least if I go 20 hours a week, seven days or, or 20 hours a day, seven days a week, I can at least be accountable to myself. Like I could fire myself. Like the company could do um, really well. It could do really poor, but like, at least I have some level of control in it. So that's what I love about your story there. I want to rewind just a second. You talked about, you spoke about documentation. You were helping these engineering students, you're building these and you're documenting. I can't see what you mean by documenting. Is it a lot of pictures on Facebook? Is it like, how do you like to really nurture your social media audience to to feel what you're feeling in your business? 
Yeah. So, I mean, for me at the time, it was old school Facebook. This is like 2012, 13, when Facebook, I had like 200 likes and there's like 200 real people would follow. You had hundred percent reach. Right. I, had, I had no, I was probably the least expert at, at Facebook of anyone. I would just be like, Hey, what driver do you guys play? Uh, hey, I'm thinking about designing this in this way, this color. And I just use my curi- natural curiosity to ask them. And that really was the uh, kind of the accidental formula of for success of, of how I did it, which is asking. And they really told me what they want. And as I did this, you know, we started getting more followers, more followers, and we just had engagement, right? So people would comment and I would comment back. And a good example of this thesis, and, and it's now part of everything we do is conversational, um, is when I had one of the videos, when Facebook videos first went live, when they became an option, I remember my son was taking a nap. So I ran outside real quick with my camcorder. I hit a ball into a net and it sounds like a bomb goes off. I hit it so hard. And I go, does your driver sound like that? And I got, and I boosted it for like 300 bucks. This is almost 10 years ago, but, and I, I got 300,000 views, 10,000 comments. And I commented on every comment on my Blackberry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> until my, it was old school, dude. Until my thumbs were like bleeding. And I didn't even know what it meant to engage or why I was doing. I just was like, people are giving a shit enough to comment. I should give a shit enough to comment back. And that was it. So like a lot of my success really came from doing things without ex- expectations. Because if I expected, okay, I'm going to hit 10,000 comments and drive this much revenue, I probably would have never done it. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those things where... I saw some traction. I saw something happening. I didn't really know what it meant, but I took the time to kind of go down that rabbit hole and put effort towards it. And that allowed us early days to build up like a real organic following of guys that were like, wow, I talked to the owner, you know, like I, like I just built up these relationships and customers like almost one by one, which was looking back on now, I'd be like, wow, do I probably don't have that hustle and grind anymore. I probably couldn't even do it because I was just grinding away, but it really allowed me to engage, you know, and then we figured out Facebook ads. Then we were able to scale that up to, you know, seven figures and, you know, now we're doing eight figures a year, but that was really the the core was caring about someone engaging and engaging back. You know, that, that was, that was it, you know? Yeah. That's uh that's old school, right? Like I had a Blackberry and I lost the ball. Did you eventually lose the ball, the tracker ball and have to switch to an iPhone? I don't know why I made the switch, but I, I think I'm going to go back. I just remember I would just blast emails, dude. And I was like, I never <laughs> get rid of this Blackberry. And I hated the iPhone for so long. And now, now I have one, but it's like, I, I Blackberry was still legit. I, I would, I would have one. Dude. I love those. Yeah, that was the first smartphone that I had. I, I don't yep. even remember what the year was. It was probably 08, 09, something like that. And our company's emails would process an hour faster on a BlackBerry than an iPhone. So everybody right. had to have BlackBerry. So oh, yeah. I, I feel you on that one. Um, so you, you spoke about year one. You spoke about getting traction. You spoke about documentation and, and being real and authentic and just having those conversations say, hey, Hey, hey guys, hey gals, like what the hell do you want? What do you want out of a driver? What do you want? Like, take us through, like, what does year three look like? 2015, 2016, 2017. What does it look like when you're like, you feel like you're on the other side of the mountain, 
but you're still trying to figure out what the hell is this e-com stuff? How do I keep it sustainable? I'm still nervous. Like what's going on in year three, four, five? Yeah. I remember the moment where I had to hire someone. That was like the first time where I was like, so I, I run so lean and don't believe in a lot of overhead just for like, if you have a good month, they're going to be great. And bad months are still good. So like I, I've always run it tight, but I was like, I have to hire someone. So I remember when I, when I was running Facebook ads and I was able to start spending money and see, you know, a very clear correlation. I spend X or get Y. And I was like, okay, this is a real lever. Cause before it was organic. It was a grind. I could crush it that day with posts and comments, but it wouldn't necessarily mean I'm going to sell more. Right. So I knew paid traffic once I started to have leverage there was a thing. And I remember I did everything myself, assembling clubs, customer service, shipping clubs, social media, email, Facebook, ad, you name it, every ordering product, every single thing in the company until I got to a million dollars. Then I hired Chris, my first guy. He's actually one of the engineering students at UVM to help design one of the products. Actually, I don't think we made the club that he designed, a putter. <laughs> um, but he's like, hey, man, love what you're doing. If you need help ever, I'm down. Um, and he, I was like, cool. So he was in school full, full time. And I gave him an offer to work just at night, just banging emails. Because I remember I had like 20,000 emails or some, something absurd where I just had to delete all. Where I was just like, I got to start fresh. And <laughs> when I hit that first seven figures, that was like the first like, okay, we got something here. But it wasn't really until I really think, honestly, I felt good until I had my second kid. And so like we started to have traction. We went from like 400K, 1.2 million. And I hired a real paid guy, got to 4 million and then 6 million. But really it wasn't until I think we did is around the 5 million mark when I had my second, my daughter. And I said, okay, I'm still working a lot this time. I'm in an office. I've got guys in the office. I'm, I'm like building this culture. I'm giving these guys insights and all everything in the company. And then she came along and go, guys, I'm taking six weeks off, you know, which was like unheard of, right? I didn't even take six minutes off. Right. And in doing so, I set up silos of experts. Like you do this, you do this, you do this, you know, and not in a good way. It wasn't, it wasn't that well documented. Just like, Hey, you're on this, you're on that. And sales went up when I took my time up. And that was like, Holy shit. That I, I, rendered myself useless, but had then got it to a point where the business was. was and let me, let me stop you for, let me stop you for a second. Did that feel weird? I felt, I, I hated it. And I still, honestly, like a lot of days I'm like, dude, what do I even do? Cause like, most, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, it sounds really weird. And it's like, if I didn't have 20 hour a day, 20 hour days, seven days a week for so long and having two kids, you know, it, I wouldn't have gone to that four hour a week type of business, but it's like, for me, it took two kids getting fired and eight years to get into that. Okay. I'm not that important. These people are her, who does what, and the business will grow without me, which is a weird feeling as like the founder and the guy who started to be like, people are like, Oh man, you must be busy. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not. Okay, we're selling, you know, we're doing over seven figures every month right now. And I've worked the least I ever had. But it's only because I I learned everything in the business 
and which took years and was painful. I don't want to like downplay this. Like, Hey man, go launch a business and do eight figures and work four hours a week. It's not like that. I had to learn everything in every silo, every, you know, Facebook ads, emails, fulfillment, customer service to then delegate it. So I had to learn it well enough to be an expert, really find those experts. That's phase two of the phase one's learning it. So you're an expert. Phase two is finding someone better than you, which is probably the hardest part. And then phase three is just having no ego and getting out of the way. And that's kind of where I'm at now. And it's like, some days it's scary, man, because I'm like, and you know, it's really crazy. Like I've been on vacation, best sales days we've had. So I'm not even in front of the computer. Like they have a policy. (laughs) We have a a policy. I'm not allowed to open the computer and touch the website because I'll break it because I just, I'm, I'm irrelevant. So that, that is an interesting, just an interesting, different world, man. If you told me this back in 2013 when I started, I wouldn't even know what you're saying. But it all, the full circle, it all stemmed from doing something I enjoyed and having no expectations and just following where I was getting traction, you know? Yeah, and I think it's weird for somebody that that works a lot of hours to turn that switch off. You know, I've been a, I've been in education. This will be my 12th year going into education. I teach high school business. I've also coached lacrosse for a while. My business is in the sports realm. Like some of my days are, I work an hour and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Like, what, what do I do? And then some days are, you know, those, those long days where you're trying to figure out what to do. And I think that's the toughest part is that mindset that, Hey, I don't have to do everything and get, like get away from the telephone like you suck at sales like get off the emails like your grammar is atrocious you know what right, i mean right. so it's just like it's finding those folks that are better at things than you are like i'm not the best organizer i do my best like i'll open up my spreadsheet i'll i'll make times and this needs to happen there but like i'm going to miss 50 different things and I'm still going to need to wing it at the end of the day. And so I think it is important. And I love that step two. step two: finding somebody that is better than you at what you learn, because you can teach that person what's going on and then they can take it to that next level. So if you want to work less hours, you've got to delegate. Talk a little bit about kind of your first delegations. What did you start getting off your plate first? So hard to delegate. This is like the hardest part of growth is, is letting go. I think this is the trap. You know, this is truly the trap. If you've had a successful business is getting out of your own way and delegating because of ego and control. And, you know, I just, I don't know why I think it was just having the second kid really push me. But the first thing I handed off was customer service. Cause at first I was like, no one can answer the phone. Like I can, no one can answer an email like I can. And in reality, they actually do a better job because they're not so close to it. And, you know, they're not so romantic about the business where they're like, I would get upset if I had to send a club out because I was like, that's going to hit my bottom line. If I have to send it, whereas these guys, they only have one goal. Wow. The customer. And they do. So it's like, that was the first thing was customer service. The second thing was fulfillment. So when you're assembling clubs, shipping them, it just made no sense for me to do it. And then, so we finally were on our fourth, fulfillment center now but we got a place in wisconsin you know we our stuff's made overseas we ship it in 40 foot containers it goes to wisconsin it's all barcoded they ship them out um i don't even see the product anymore you know and it's just like that was to scale up we had to make that decision and we also used to do custom clubs custom lengths custom lofts custom grips and i remember at one point i said there's no way we're going to grow 
if we do custom. And we actually had a lot of guys, not a lot, but that really didn't know what they wanted. And so that was one of the real evolutions for us was I had done custom because that's what I had known. And I realized that after, you know, I was trying to listen to my customer, you know, and get feedback and guys were ordering like really short, really stiff drivers and not even know why they ordered that. And so we realized that when they ordered these different, like these custom options, they were getting worse performance, which would be counterintuitive. <laughs> so we went with just like the core best sellers and simplified the offerings and that allowed us to scale. Um, so that was one big epiphany. And then from there, the high, the big lever things really is what I did next, which is like Facebook ads, uh, the videos and creative, the email and the SMS, um, and then the operations. I've got an assistant now that does all the customs, the clearance, the inventory. So really all I do is I have a Monday board of like all the things that get done and I just can review it if I need or approve stuff if I need to. So my, my, my actual time to do this, I, 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 I have like a board called approvals. It's like six different agencies for each thing they do. CRO, SEO, paid ads, our email agency, whoever it is. I just, I can go through and just say, okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. Here's this. Um, and it takes me like 10 minutes. So it's kind of crazy, but it's like, they're doing all the real I wouldn't say grunt work, but the work that needs to be done. And I just have a high level, you know, view of what, what's going on. And I try to pull the big levers, you know, and it's, um, the less I'm in the day to day, the better sales are. So. <laughs> and you're, you're contracting out a lot of this, right? Most of Yeah. So I, I mean, we're doing, you know, over seven figures a month with my brand and I have two employees in house. Right. Um, and I, I try to go the other route and just hire out and just like have a ton of guys in house. But really for e-com, it's, it's a function of, of paid traffic and a function of fulfillment. Those are the core things that really is how many clubs can you ship a day and how much can you spend to drive more revenue? So it's like, it's really not that much. So I, it's funny, like the native, the guy from native deodorant who I want to talk to, uh, Moise, I think is his name. I probably messed that up. He, he scaled up his brand to I think 50 million and sold it for a hundred million with four employees, I think. Wow. Um, so I'm a big proponent and he just ran the Facebook ads himself. So I have a very similar mindset of like running lean because dude, if you have a good month, that's really good if you don't have a lot of overhead. And if it's a bad month, like off season, like January, February, it's off season. Like we know we're going to do a third of what we're going to do in season and it's expected, but we're good because we don't have a ton of overhead. Um, so that's kind of the beauty of e-com. And I see a lot of brands trying to make, I don't know if it's from ego or control, but they try to make uh, roles and positions that don't need to exist. It's really, it's really odd. Um, but for me, that's how I kind of set it up and it's a very transferable business. So if someone to buy it, it's not like I'm important. You couldn't say, Hey, that's a key man. It's like that guy's useless. <laughs> Just take his Monday board and hit approve and you're good. You know? So it's, it, but it took years to get to that, to where I'm at now, you know? Yeah. And something that I wonder as well is everybody kind of, and, and I say everybody, it's horrible to say everybody. I think there's a lot of people out there that start to think of, 
Hey, like I would love to start a fishing brand and sell fishing t-shirts, but there's this mystery of Facebook ads. There is this mystery of Google and paid ads and all that shit. And it just makes their mind explode where they don't even start. Right. They're, they're just sitting there trembling. They're like, I've got this Shopify and I spent uh, five weeks on my Shopify store but they have no idea how to drive traffic to that store. So talk a little bit about what your strategy is with ads. And then if you could, like, what's the average price of something that you sell and what's the money of ads going into that average sale? Yeah, I mean, Facebook ads are constantly evolving right now with iOS. Some brands are having having struggles with paid traffic. For us, we kind of been very fortunate. Um, and really we look at ads as, you know, necessary, I wouldn't say evil, but it's something you got to do. You got to spend money to make money. And typically our return on ad spends four to 4.5 back. So if we spend a dollar, we want to get four to four and a half back. Um, and really for us, it's like, we've got core products. So, you know, we've got good offers and we've got a unique story. So it's like, we know the product can perform, you know, and it's like, there's a couple pieces to it, but really it's, if, if you're gonna, I love fishing. My kid loves fishing. Uh, <laughs> we fish a ton, and we talked about starting a fishing business. I actually have a fishing lure design. Uh, Ooh, there we go. But I think it all starts if you're starting. I don't even think you should deal with Facebook ads yet. I think you should just do. And not saying I did the right way, but kind of do what you enjoy. Document what you're doing. Build a small audience. You know, and then, you know, start to ask them what they kind of want, you know, and then throw it out there and maybe do like an AB. You you design a couple of shirts that say one's got a large mouth bass, mouth open, then you got a small mouth bass. Say which one is the best, best uh, trophy bass, large mouth or small mouth? And see what people say. And then you may be shocked at what shirt they may like. So I think that's what I would do first. And then I would learn Facebook ads and Google ads myself. That's what I ended up doing. Just so you can know how to hire and fire someone like that's the biggest mistake I made is I fired one of our ad guys. I was killing it because I didn't know enough. I had lost touch, but I think the vetting process and knowing enough is, is necessary. But yeah, if you're starting out, you got to learn how to run paid traffic. You got to learn how to run email and then you got to spend some money. You know what I mean? I think that's the other thing is if you're going to start a business, you've got to be able to not just make a website, get some products going. Um, but you've got to actually be able to run and, and scale paid marketing. And that is probably today is much different than 2012. We've got a lot of momentum because we got like hundred thousand customers, you know, so we can, it's hard to compare us to someone just starting, but you got to still be able to learn how to run Facebook ads, you know? And is that pretty important as far as lookalike audiences when you have a hundred thousand in the queue? Well, I mean, for us, mostly it's, it's our customer base and that's really our asset, you know? So like we've got a hundred thousand guys that are swinging bomb tech on the golf course. Um, I think it's almost, I think it's 600,000 club sold or something. So it's just, we've got a core group that has bought product and it makes it so much easier now for us to sell them a new product or an upgrade or whatever. So it's just, that's momentum over time and building brand. And I think that's where I'm at now. I'm at the inflection point of like, um, brand and direct to consumer, like, uh, direct marketing results where we have to spend a dollar and get four. Now we can, we're testing TV, we're testing TikTok, Um, and we could spend some money just on pure branding because we've got that built in base. 
Um, and I think that's how you get to the next level. But if you're starting out, you got to run paid traffic um, or it's going to be a slow, a slow battle, which is okay. But uh, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> I hope what everybody's hearing here though, is that things changed from 2012. Like it was an absolute grind. Nothing is handed to you. Like you were just working your tail off one customer at a time, one Facebook comment, one reply, one email, one phone call, and you just start stacking the deck to try to get a little bit of traction. So I hope everybody understands that, that Tyler's not saying he's figured his life out. He never has to work again. He still has to make the big decisions. He still has to follow the evolutions of Facebook ads, YouTube ads, Google paid traffic, how things are changing, new iOSs from Apple changing the way that ads are accepted. And ran, I mean, he makes it sound easy, but he's, he's able to keep his mind clear from the day-to-day -day ops so that he's able to follow those things and, and stay um, kind of at the front. I wanna switch gears. I wanna go into e-com growers. Talk about e-com growers. How did that evolve? And, and what are you proud of in e-com growers? Yeah, totally another accidental entrepreneur moment. So my first employee, Chris, who was from the engineering school, worked at BombTech for, I think, four years. And he was running all my email and SMS with Quavio. And it's funny, we had a case study come up, a couple of them on BombTech success and how we did all this revenue and we're killing it with email. Like we did like 45% of revenue from email. And it was really odd. It was like, and Chris had been working for me. Like he would work like eight hours a week on his own regard because he just loved it. He was obsessed. So it was like the, it was the craziest thing to have an employee that deep. And I, I felt like, dude, if I can do anything with him outside of BombTech or to help him grow in his life, I want to do it. So when these people started reaching out, they're like, hey, can you help me with my econ brand? I'm like, no. I was like, good luck. <laughs> I'll talk to you on the phone, like uh, founder to founder, but I can't help you. Want you want a golf club? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, we sell golf clubs, but I can't help you with that. And, and Chris was like, hey, man, not, not that that's how he talks, but he's like, um, you know, I, I'm doing really well for you with our email. What do you think if I checked out their email, like from these people reaching out and see if I could help them? I go, listen, I'll support you. If you want to do a side hustle with this and try to make some cash, I'll do it. You know, I 100% as long as it doesn't affect your day to day. So he ended up closing three deals. And I go, tell me how it goes in 30 days. I go, I don't want to hear anything about it. Just tell me how it goes. What are their results? So he's like, hey, I got, uh, here's my report. Uh, so I had three clients and I doubled the revenue from email, all of them. I go, <laughs> Jeez. I go, oh, okay, that's, that's doubling revenue is good. How, what do the clients think? And they're like, um, so I said, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want to do more of this. I said, okay. So we essentially made a business plan for him to exit BombTech um, and start his company, Ecom Growers, and I would partner with him on the lead side, you know, just from my business expertise of how to run a lean business. And, you know, I try to get him leads, but he would be in the day to day fulfillment. So we grew that. This is only three years old. And now we're over seven figures there. And we've got, I think, 35 clients. Um, and mm -hmm. we work with similar clients like myself. It's retainer based, but we run, we design email, we write all the copy, and we send all your newsletters. You know, your campaigns, your product launches, all the things that drive revenue, um, you know, in the back end with, with BombTech, we do it for other clients. So it's, it's kind of crazy to think now I have two incomes and that business is really interesting to me 
because we don't have a ton of employees either, but it's all cash flow. So it's a retainer based model. There is no inventory. Um, and it's really exciting because it's a, he's a young gun and really we've worked on systems to make it repeatable. Um, and it's exciting to have two incomes now. And it's like, I'm so happy for him because as an, an employer of him and have him being my employee working 80 to hundred hours a week for me, he's now making, I don't know, eight X what I was paying him and he owns his own company. So I couldn't be more happy to be called his partner and help him out in, in e-com growers. And, you know, they do all my email and SMS at bomb tech. So it's, it was one of those things where we saw an opportunity for people reaching out. I said, okay, maybe we should run with this. And he took the reins and I just supported him and I'm, I'm happy for him. Such an awesome story. You know, I, as I said before, I'm an educator, I'm a coach and there's nothing that, that is more exciting to me than being able to hire a former player or help in some way, even, you know, the other day hopping on the phone and giving a positive referral from one for one of my former students, they call me five minutes later. Thanks coach. I got the job, you know, all those things. It's, you know, at the end of the day, you can make as much money as you possibly can or want or, or design your life. But if you're not fulfilled, if you're not giving back to this world in one way or another, I feel it's a life so lived short. Um, and one of the reasons we created this podcast is to get away from that average mindset of just going to work to make money in order to feed your family, have a house, et cetera, to, to live a life with value, to live a life where you're teaching and you're helping and you're mentoring and you're making this world a better place. And that's the, that, that against all average mindset is to get away from everything that is average, to be able to look at the world and live a life that you want to lead. My last question for you is a question that I ask most of my guests, unless I forget, but it is. What makes you against all average? What makes you special? What is your special sauce in the world of e-com or this world? Like what makes you want to be as far away from average as possible to lead this cool life? I, you know, I don't know how to answer that, but I think it's just my curiosity and willingness to, to just try new stuff. I mean, cause really I always at any job was always looking for something that wasn't there. And the answer for me was bomb tech and the agency. And I think that's where it all starts is curiosity and a lot of its DNA, you know, just the, the wanting to do something different. Now, to your point, I'm also trying to find more purpose because money really doesn't mean anything. And like, so for me, I, I spend so much time with my kids. The wife is like, you need to leave the house. But I have an <laughs> office. This is my office where I just like I'm kicked out of because I'm home so much. So for me, that means I'm. That's my uh, real true power is being a dad. And like that, that gives me purpose. So I, I'm glad that I'm around so much. I'm getting kicked out. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a willingness to, to look at opportunities and not, I think the last thing I'll say is have expectations. I think that's where it allowed me to work so many hours for so long because I had no expectation and it just kind of happened. If you work really hard for a long time, guess what? You get lucky. Um, whereas... Right. If you think, hey, I'm going to go start this fishing t-shirt business on Shopify and make a million bucks end of the year, you're going to be uh, probably sadly mistaken. So, so it's it's one of those, you know, no expectations and willingness to outwork people and do something. And I think the last thing too with that is like, if you're going to choose to go down that path of entrepreneurship, which is still weird, I don't even like, it's, it's weird, I don't refer to myself as an entrepreneur, but 
you got to do something you like, or it's going to turn into work. You know what I mean? So don't forget that. Don't chase a trend. It's like, it's like women's leggings are hot. I'm going to go sell women's leggings. Oh, cool. What do I know about women's leggings? You know, other than the wife looks good in them, but it's like, you know what I'm saying? So it's do something you love. Don't follow trends and just, you know, be curious. So, so you're saying I shouldn't go sell face masks on Shopify? Exactly. It's like, if you're a trend, <laughs> and usually when you hear a trend, it's already gotten it. You know, it's like, oh, it's so like true. Golf. Oh, it's funny. Golf is trending right now for the first time in like 25 years. It's like, you can't even make a golf club without a, a year long lead time. So it's like, you can't chase trends, do what you love, have fun, be curious. And you know, good things will happen if you work hard. Awesome. Soli, this is your time to plug your websites and kind of what you're doing, where to find you, all of that good stuff. I want to make sure that our guests know what you do and where to find you. Yeah. So if you golf, it's uh, bombtechgolf.com. If you're an e-com brand, you know, typically work with brands doing over 2 million a year, ecomgrowers.com, or if you want to chat direct with me, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, uh, at Tyler Sully Sullivan. All right. If I can uh, make the extra as badass as the intro, you'll have to give me applause here. Hey, this was an amazing episode, a, a little, uh, a little lesson on e-com and life and golf and, and dropping bombs on the golf course. I mean, if, if you didn't find value here, I don't know what the hell you were listening to hit us up, make sure that you give us a review, hit those four stars and five stars. I don't think it's a four. I think it's a five today. Like it always is a beautiful Friday out here in Hillsboro, Oregon, but just make sure Leave us that review. I don't charge for the podcast. I do it myself. I don't put a ton of money into it, but you can help grow it by leaving us a badass review. Another big shout out to this episode sponsor, Fair and Events. And with that, we thank you for listening to the Against All Average podcast with Tyler Sully Sullivan talking all about being curious, not having too much expectation when you start outworking the competition and do what you freaking love. Thanks, Tyler. Nailed it, man. Thank you. This has been Against All Average. Subscribe, share, rate, and review at againstallaverage.com.